Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Half-Ashed. My name is Craig Schneider, and that gentleman, 1,800 miles, 1,800, 1,850. 1,850 something. 1,850 miles southeast of me is none other than Mr. Kip Fisher. And we are coming to you live for the 159th time. Wow, that's a lot of times. This 3rd day of February, 2017, Mr. Fisher... How the heck are you? Wonder tabulous. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, ay, ay, ay. Are you ever just going to say, I'm perfect. I'm wonderful. Thank you for <laughs> asking, my friend. If I ever am perfect, I would be, you'd be the first person I let know. <laughs> well, I, I, I won't hold my breath. How's that? Yeah, that's probably a good idea. <sighs> how, uh, how are you? It's, uh, I think it's actually been two weeks since we talked. Have we talked since the last show? Uh, well, know. earlier today a little, but that's it. Yeah, pretty much. Not not a whole lot of chatterbox in this past couple of weeks. I, that, I don't know why that is. It's been a good couple of weeks for me. I, uh, I'm i sorry I haven't included yeah. you in that. <laughs> I'm, lo- I'm looking here at the little WhatsApp uh, stream between you and I and... Uh, we went from you asking me this, what the cigar of the week is at the last show till today. Yeah, wow. Sorry about that. I, uh, I'll, I'll wear that one. I don't know why I have been uh, withdrawn, but go both ways. Oh well, you said it. I wasn't going to throw you under the bus, but why haven't you been texting me, Kip? <laughs> uh, I don't have anything that's worth saying. Yeah, well, welcome to my life. <laughs> <sighs> Well, you don't think I have anything worth saying either. Yeah, that's what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I, uh, I'm i doing well. Work is good. Weather hasn't been atrocious. In fact, in fact, we're in the middle of winter in uh, the Midwest when I believe it was 12 degrees today, and I wore a sweatshirt. Oh, it's Holy comfortable. Cow. I'll just throw the sweatshirt on today. It'll be great. 12 degrees Fahrenheit? Yeah. <laughs> Did, was it intentional that your voice cracked in fear when you said that? <laughs> no. <laughs> yes, it is 12 degrees Fahrenheit, and I realized today when I was coming home, oh, it has been winter for a while. 12 degrees isn't feeling that bad anymore. Good Lord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I don't want any part of that. Well, it's funny. You were talking about how it's been so warm by you recently, and, well, you know, Finally. I think... I, I take this back. I haven't not been talking to you. We've just been talking on the forum, responding yeah. to each other's comments and things. That Okay, that makes more sense. Um, yeah, you put some picture up that it was 92 degrees Wednesday, and uh, I, I think I'd rather take 12 degrees than 92. Not me, man. I'll take the 92 every stinking time. Uh, Celsius or Fahrenheit? <laughs> Fahrenheit. I, I prefer to... <laughs> To keep it well under the 200 degree Fahrenheit. <laughs> to not, not allow your skin to be boiling? Yeah. <sighs> Good times. Well, so it's uh, yeah. small talk about the weather aside. I I, I really don't know old. why. Yeah, I know. Next thing you'll be talking about is the, the little kitties who are running around your yard. Get off my lawn. I, I have some bad news to report, though. Uh-oh. I've only had two cigars since the last show. 
I know. You've had two since about 11 o'clock this morning, haven't you? Yeah. <laughs> oh, well. Yeah, I guess that's, that's kind of par for the course in the Chicago area in winter. You get cold. It's tough to, you know, to justify driving around with the windows open or having a cigar on the deck or things like that or doing yard work with one, but uh, it won't be too terribly long before we're above freezing consistently and I can make an excuse to go out and <laughs> do something hurt. enjoyable. Words I don't ever want to say. Eh, it won't be too long till we're above freezing consistently. Yeah, no, that's okay. No, I don't think so. Well, hey, you got a couple things going on here uh, for the show tonight. You want to uh, you want to introduce a few items to us? I do. As soon as I correct my spelling mistake for this cigar. <laughs> Well, you know why as... I'm such a spelling Nazi on these notes, right? No, actually, I don't. One, because it's just my nature. But uh, two, I typically just grab those and dump them into the post for the show when I put the recording up. So oh. if they're fixed now, I don't have to fix them later. Are you going to talk about uh, half of a tire plug and cow turds in the show notes? <laughs> Well, I guess I am now. <laughs> hey, hey I, it, my job is to uh, make sure that you do your job, Kipper. Yeah, yeah. Those are just things that came to mind that didn't have to be talked about tonight. <laughs> but, came to... but first... Folks, Kip is so old. I feel like this is a variation of the redneck jokes. You might be a redneck if... Well, you might be old if... You use your half-assed show notes as your your list of random things that you need to remember for the next day. That's it. I'm sharing notes with you ten minutes before showtime. <laughs> well, it, this morning, or I don't know, maybe it was this afternoon. I sent you a screenshot of the show notes when I was starting to do some prep, and was like, "What the what the heck is a half a tire plug and age increases and oh yeah." <laughs> And you have graced us with the addition recently of cow turds. So yeah. indulge, it, it, enlighten me. Excuse me. Uh, well, cow turds, unrelated story. Oh, I, it's not even a freaking story. We, we, we live in the city of Santiago, city of you know, three quarters of a million people. But there's a, uh, it's not uncommon to see cows. And in fact, there is a, you know, a nominal herd of cows that walk my street pretty regularly, just about every day. There's 25, 30 cows. <laughs> and they walked through last night while I was sitting out here on the balcony, and then they came back the other way, and they're hanging around making racket. And so I had to run and pick up my kids, and I only had to go a short distance to the school. It's like a mile and a half. So I just hopped in the truck and went over and got them. I came back and was not wearing shoes and hopped out of the truck in the street and stepped right in a cow pile with my bare feet. And it, it was a glorious moment for the old kid. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. I, uh, it, it's a glorious moment for Kip, but I'm still confused as to why you had to document that to remember later. But, hey, you know what? That, that's cool. 
that's another story that's also not worth telling of how that got into show notes. But <sighs> well, on that note, would you like to uh, mention anyone or anything for this uh, this evening's show? I would. I would genuinely love to talk about something different right now. <laughs> Maybe what this cigar is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we are smoking the Asylum Nicophilia, which is not necrophilia, <laughs> as as um, Index referred to it in the chat room a little while ago. Nicophilia, which is more of a, a, an affinity for the night or the dark. Hmm. And uh, this was a limited run, although my understanding is it was originally planned to be regular production uh, from Asylum. But uh, the limitation was it was only sold through the TAA, Tobacco Association of America, retailers, of which you probably remember there's 75 or 80-ish of those retailers. And this one came out, I want to see say, late spring of 2015. And uh, I put in the notes, I believe this was actually the very last cigar I purchased stateside before we moved in June of that year. And tonight we're smoking the five by 50, uh, which is a Robusto of course. And we're smoking that because the only other two sizes that were offered in this line were a six by 60 and a seven by 70. And we're pretty much limited to two hours with the show. Yeah. <laughs> and, and who the heck wants a seven by 70s? Like, all right, anyway, wear me out. Yeah, no joke. But anywho, uh, it was a TAA exclusive, and um, they were marketed $8-ish for the Robusto. The others were a little bit more, but not outrageously so. Um, and they didn't give just a whole ton of specifics about the blend, although it does have a San Andres wrapper uh, to kind of go with the theme of the night and the darkness. It, 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 I, I know it's silly, but I swear I think these things were darker when I bought them than they are now. <laughs> uh, I know it's not not typical, but maybe my memory just is broken with the addition of my little frame. And um, but anyway, <laughs> San Andres wrapper, <laughs> Nicaraguan binder and filler. Um, no more detail other than Nicaraguan. Um, I bought a few of these at the time, right after they first came out, and I really liked them and put it, put them away and brought out the others, I want to say about a year ago-ish. And um, they, something had crept into the blend over those first months, uh, six, seven months, six, eight months of, of resting before I smoked the most recent ones I've had a year ago. And it, it was, I called it a, a tannic intrusion uh, in the notes that I wasn't really a huge fan of. It was, it was, almost bordering on a slight bitterness even uh, that I just didn't care for in the blend and certainly didn't enjoy them as much as I had initially. And so we have waited this long year to pull these out and fire them up and see how they've changed in the meantime. Hmm. Well, I can, uh, I can say that when you mentioned the slightly tannic flavor to it, I nodded my head almost instinct instinctively. Um, I I think it has something to do with that San Andres. Uh, there's a little bit of 
of a spice that goes with it, but it's like a crispness, a crisp spice, similar to a a, a bra. I'm sorry, a, a, a Connecticut shade, but not nearly as crisp as that. Um, it's interesting, but it's there. It's prevalent, um, and I almost wish that I would have smoked these. Well, the, the year and a half, two years ago, uh, whenever it was that you had first gotten them to have a, a, a measuring stick against which to, to uh, judge this today. But I don't think what I'm experiencing is as much as what you had um, uh, kind of been a little hesitant on uh, more recently. But I also don't think that this is what the original blend would have been uh, that you fell in love with because it's that crispness, that kind of tannic, bite is definitely there. So I, uh, I'll be interested to see how it progresses. I'm solidly in the first third, maybe three quarters of an inch or so roughly, um, draws good. Uh, it's a little tighter than my preference, but not certainly not bad. Um, construction seems fine. It's burning. Okay. And this looks like uh, a slightly rustic, slightly dry, uh, wrapper that, usually uh, means somebody was valuing flavor over appearance. So I'm interested to see how it's going to continue on and, and, and with the hope that uh, that maybe that tannic bite lessens a bit and we can get a, a more of that core flavor. Cool. Uh, yeah, the, uh, the little bit of tannins that we're talking about uh, were diametrically opposed to what I got from these at first the, the, when they were mm. fresh and young. It was very dark and sweet and, and you know, almost raisiny, stewed fruit kind of flavors. And, and uh, there's my neighbor's dog. And um, that was overshadowed. I don't want to say it was gone, but it was overshadowed by the, the uh, more bitter aspects of its profile. A year ago. Hmm. Oh, I love that dog. <laughs> you know what you need to do? You need to go invest in the cheapest, most gnarly cut of meat with a bone still on it and throw it over there about 10 minutes before showtime every time. Every time we record. You know, I thought you were going to say least with something. <laughs> <laughs> no. no, you don't want to piss the neighbor off. You just want to make the dog quiet. <laughs> I would not do that. Maybe. Mm. Well, <laughs> before we move on, I got something else cool uh, real quickly here. Shoot. Uh, this past week, I connected with a uh, fellow missionary worker type feller down in Harabacoa, uh, which is south southwest of, of Santiago. Um Via Twitter, actually, but he's in Hotabacoa. That's where he works, and he's he's at a school down there, uh, which is kind of a cool operation. But he passed along that his dad is a, a fan of the show. He actually listens to us prattle on for an hour or two every week, which I thought was was very very cool. I, you know, we say all the time we love to hear from folks and connect to people and put you know connect dots and put things together, and and I. I thought that was awesome. Um, his name's Dan Lemoyne, the gentleman I, I traded messages with, and his dad's named Don. So 
hello, Don. We just wanted to just throw a say, uh, throw a hello out there for you. And uh, I understand from Dan that you've made a couple of trips down here. So next time you're in town, hit me up. I'd, I'd love to catch up with you in person. Um, it's always cool to meet people that share the the hobby and the interests. Um, so. Hello, Don. <laughs> well, you were going good until you went all creepy at the end there. <laughs> Don and Raleigh. <laughs> I know where you live. No, that's that is really cool. I I, I love uh, you know. There's nothing quite like being somewhere and you know, talking to someone and letting it slip that oh yeah, well not letting it slip but discussing that you uh, are part of kind of the the podcast nation that's out there now and uh you mention the name and they go oh no joke that's you i've listened to that before it's always mm -hmm. kind of a, a fun little thing and then when you add that in common with um you know just uh the love of the leaf how easy it is to sit back at a cigar store and become friends with anybody when you're smoking a cigar and sharing a conversation it it, it makes it doubly special so Kudos to you for having that uh, that tie-in, and I hope that, that you're able to meet Don sometime whenever he uh, comes down to visit his son. Yep. Yeah. I got a yep and a coup in tonight already. That's, a, that's one heck of a bad boy. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I'm not funny. I know that. No, that was funny. Oh, good. Well. I'm still laughing inside. <laughs> have you uh you, you talked a little bit about what this cigar was like when you smoked them originally and then kind of intermediate or intermittently intermediate intermittent whatever the right word is there um what do you what are you getting tonight so far i assume that you are a bit into this i don't have your video up i, I am not so much as you um maybe oh yeah you're half of me half an inch or so um it, it still has some of the, I hesitate to say bitterness because that is a little bit stronger word than I'm looking for. The crispness maybe that you that you threw that word out there earlier uh, is probably a better descriptor. Um, certainly don't have the those dark, stewy, sweeter kind of flavors that, that I remember from the very first ones. Um, but maybe a little more in that direction than they were a year ago. I think maybe they may just have been in a, you know, in a, in a bad, uh, bad time frame, bad period, sick period, as some people call it uh, this time a year ago. It's, um, it's always a shame. I'll, I'll actually talk a little bit later on about a cigar that <clears throat> I've had great luck with in the past is one of those that you really enjoy. And then, unfortunately, you reach for it at one point, and it's not what you're expecting or wanting, and uh, that always puts a damper on things. So, I I hear you, or know exactly what it's like to to have that experience. So, hopefully, tonight uh, leaves you with a better taste in your mouth. No pun Literally. intended. <laughs> you're right. You think yeah, I'm gonna I believe it? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Every pun intended. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, as we uh, as we transition into news, I realize I am just about out of my first glass of uh, rum and soda. So stick around, folks. As always, news, cigars, laughter. So and stick around if you dare. It's sure to be another fun night of conversation and friends and 
Who knows? I might even finish this bottle of rum. Then you're really in for a surprise. You've literally made listening to this show a dare now. <laughs> like Scottish cuisine. <laughs> oh, yep. <laughs> There's the end of the bottle. Okay, uh, let's see how yeah, long that takes. I suppose tomorrow morning you will have lost another bottle. <laughs> All right. All right. Just so this doesn't linger for a while, I lost the bottle of rum. I don't know where it is. Okay? And Kip politely said, uh, Craig, that, that might mean you have a problem. And I said, of course I have a problem. I lost my bottle of rum. Yeah, no, probably Craig. lost about 12 hours along with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, luckily, it's only a bottle of rum in 12 hours. Uh, so well, somewhere... Have- Somewhere in the Chicago suburbs is a bottle of Zaya. So if it's worth it, it's a nice, uh, there's a nice light at the end of the tunnel. If you're up for that scavenger hunt, I have nothing but cold day old coffee and a weak, inefficient thermos. <laughs> uh, okay. I'll settle for my Appleton. Okay. That's what I'm resorting to. Which, quick tip, if you ever are forced to drink Appleton, make sure you have soda with you. Much, much better. Uh, Michael Stewart said, check your son's room. (laughs) (laughs) Not a bad idea. He calls my cigar room my stinky room. Mm -hmm. And he is obsessed with it. He wants to come in here all the time. We got like a, a little half a hockey rink. We have an unfinished basement other than the room that I built for cigars. And so um, we, I just have a ranch. And so it's, I don't know, 75, 80 feet wide. Um, and so along the entire length of the back of the house in the basement, he's got a little uh, uh, indoor roller hockey arena that he set up with a couple rinks. And so he comes down here and plays hockey and shoots Every once in a while, I hear the door to my room crack open because I've got a (laughs) real big, thick, heavy, uh, like, backer rod that seals the door from the outside when it's shut. So I can hear that squeak away when it gets opened. So you never know. Maybe he did take it. He's only five and already stealing the stuff in this room. That's a problem. (laughs) Oh, man. They're giving you all kinds of grief. I'm not even opening that tab. Sidman says you built a room for cigars but can't smoke in the winter because it's too cold outside. Well, I can use my room, but <laughs> I don't know. I don't like smoking inside of a room that feels like a dungeon. You know, unless I'm talking with somebody or something, just sitting in a dark room with no windows is a little odd. I'd much rather <laughs> smoke on my deck. See, I do that all year long. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's not 92 degrees here, though. Well, it's not here right now. It's pretty chilly. Don't even... No, let's move on. I'm pretty <laughs> sure Zedman would fly down to kick you in the rear end if you say what <laughs> pretty chilly is to you. Well, I mean, I still have short sleeves on, but it's... it's There's a, a nip in the air. I can't uh, even say uh, what I want to say right now. You see this? Let me get to the video. Hold on. Yes, sir. Oh, you son of a biscuit. (laughs) 
It is 75 degrees with a 7-mile-per-hour breeze. You realize that's 7 degrees warmer than my heat. Well, now, we did get a little help. If you see underneath, and it's not really wanting to focus, but it, the real feel, it, it feels like 79. So, <laughs> All right, Don, Mr. Mr. Uh, uh, Lemoyne, when you go down to see Kim, you have a very important job of telling him to turn around and put your size 12 boot right into his rear end. Please. That is from all of us who live north of the Mason-Dixon line. <laughs> That's cold. Uh, bump. <laughs> well, shall we jump into a few news items? I think it's for the best. Maybe slightly lackluster in some news, but we do have a few things to talk about. Um, namely, first of all, Jonathan Drew is returning to an executive operating role with Drew Estate, which is a change in title and philosophy as well, rather than being the traveling roadshow uh, kind of promoter that he has been the past couple of years since the sale. He's moving into more of a an executive management kind of thing. Um, it has signed a multi-year contract to do it uh, with the company. And, of course, this is different if you don't remember. Drew Estate was sold to Swisher a couple of years ago now, two, two and a half years ago, I guess, uh, mid to late 2014. Hmm. And um, I guess I was a little bit surprised by the language in the press release. And, and it's, it, it promoted the change or the move as one that will, this is a quote, return Drew Estate to its iconic roots and core values. The object is to unleash the entire team's creative power and be under the leadership of JD. End quote. That's not the surprising part. Um, the, I guess it's not really surprising, but I guess I didn't understand there was enough of a whatever to warrant this. But the, the quote from JD was, we will return to high-level curation, mixed-media platforms, and true collaboration. We've lost our way a bit, but Drew Estates will bubble back a thousand times stronger. I, I guess I didn't realize they had lost their way a little bit. I'm, I'm no more so than anybody else in the industry right now. Is there's some amount of drifting and changing and trying to respond to changes in the industry. The, the legislation that's going through, of course, that's the big thing, but all the changes that are happening in the industry because of that legislation are kind of dominoing around there's a lot of shuffling of people shuffling of companies and shuttering of some companies even um but but i guess I, I'm, a, I'm a little bit out of a touch with the the american market and what's going on but i don't guess i'd noticed any kind of that kind of drift or drop off for drew estate i mean they seem to be pretty strong to me from a distance anyway you know i i, I think you're you're dead around the point, I think that this is just an industry-wide holding pattern, and it's not necessarily a Drew Estate drop-off. Um, now, I don't know if if John is saying this as, uh, you know, let's rally the troops and be ready for another go, um, and so we, we kind of need to do that old thing of uh, inventing a problem that you can rally around, or is this more of, <clears throat> you know, he's privy and opinionated about certain things that he hasn't been able to 
be in control of or in charge of. And now that he's back in, he's, uh, he's going, well, now that he's in uh, a slightly different role, or at least with this press release, he has the opportunity to act as if then he's, uh, he's going to use that. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if any of us will know. Um, Juris state certainly has been a little less, uh, fanboy centric recently. Yeah. I, I don't think that anyone has been real heavy on it uh, in the last couple of years, just for obvious reasons. You know, you look at, at the, the uh, mid-aughts, mid to late aughts, and you had the, the Tat fanboys, and then even a little bit the Illusione fat, fat boys, fanboys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then you kind of had the, the overall general, um, uh, general as in overall, not as in Altidus. Um, uh, boutique cigar boom, and that overlapped certainly with the the tat fanboydom. Um, but then that boutique cigardom was kind of also overlapping on the other end with the Drew Estate fandom. I really think that maybe oh nine to twelve, maybe the thirteen Drew Estate was. I mean they they ran the show. There's no doubt about it. And you got three, three and a half, four years where they've just kind of ridden that wave a little bit. Sokka's gone. Uh, John Drew was gone. And, well, John Drew was different. The sale to Swisher, it made a lot of changes to things. And so, you know, I, I, I would like to see them, for the industry, get back to being as strong as where they were four years ago. I don't think it's possible. You're not going to come out with six, eight cigars a year like they were at some point, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's just, that's just not the industry now. Right. So you just think this is more of a, an evolution within the industry than, than something specific to Drew State? Yeah, I do. It, I, it's definitely an evolution within the industry. And you know what? If, if John being in control says, hey, we have a chance to seize the number one premium cigar manufacturer position in the world because we can do what other people can't do. We have the financial backing of Swisher and the, the creative backing of, of Subculture Studios and Drew Estate Cigars. Let's go out there, let's blow some money, and let's build up our market share and maybe not have the best, pro- most profitable years for the next two or three, but we're going to cement ourselves as a number one as Fuente of the nineties, you know, and, and they, they could theoretically do that. If they push when no one else is able to financially is financially able to push, they could rule the industry. There's no doubt about it, but it's not smart business unless you're looking long-term. And I have no idea if a major corporation that, that, uh, is Swisher would have the stones and hand over the freedom in order to do so. And you know what? And that's not even to say uh, that they would, or that's not even really taking an account into account, whether they could let alone whether they would, no one knows how to navigate these, these legislative, it's not really legislative, these regulatory, um, uh, trails. Nobody knows the the FDA for Pete's sake doesn't know how to navigate all these things. So if Drew Estate all of a sudden came out with eight ten cigars over the last six, over the next sixteen months, how in the world would the FDA be able to have oversight off of that? 
I mean, legitimately, what would they do? Right. You got me, man. I think I got them too. And maybe we're seeing somebody who's who's gonna have the stones to grab them by the balls and say, "Let's do this. Let's make them figure it out because we are ready to go. We'll throw money at it. We'll throw marketing at it." We're going to force a hand and make it what we want instead of waiting for them to tell us what they want. It's possible. It's improbable, but it's possible. Yeah. I don't, I don't love their cigars. I don't love the tobacco that they use. I'm not uh, – uh, I'm. well, I guess Nick Malio isn't really uh, involved anymore, but um, I, I feel like his and Saka's blending styles and the tobacco they use didn't totally line up with my profile, but um, – Everybody evolves, and I would love to see a major player make a stand. So who knows? Maybe it could happen. Yeah. Well, since we, we kind of have touched the topic, I had something in the notes that I have subsequently uh, stricken <laughs> stricken from the record. I redacted. Uh, and this kind of goes hand in hand with what we're talking about, and it really is as much a question as a statement, and it's purely – anecdotal i don't i've not compiled a list of the changes i'm thinking of or, or or anything like that but it it seems like with these regulations and you know we've had a couple of deadlines pass had one extended have others coming up within the next year or year and a half and and i think we're seeing the acceleration of some of the the reactions and responses to them uh, finally start to really kick in with, with all of the people that are moving amongst the various companies in the industry, you know, from one to the other and consolidations and realignments. There's companies being bought and sold and, and some of the little guys have already closed up and thrown in the towel and just said, you know, we, we just don't want to deal with it. Um, you know, I'm seeing that, but what I was getting at from that is, Again, I'm a little detached from the American market. I, I'm wondering what's going on in the heads and businesses uh, of the retailers uh, because I don't see that. That doesn't make the news. Nobody sends me press releases for what retailers are doing with the exception of, you know, the big guys buying some chains, you know, the uh, serious cigars and, and the Monte Cristo lounges, those kinds of things. And we see those some retailers being bought, but I don't know what else is going on with those guys. Well, how is this impacting them and what are the changes they're making? How are they responding now? Or are they still, uh, forgive me, but I don't think I'm too far out of line, largely uninformed uh, from, you know, in the early days, many retailers didn't seem to think it was going to be anything or certainly not much of a thing, not a big deal. And as recently as the past 30 days, I've spoken with an American retailer who just thought this FDA thing is going to kind of go away and it's not going to just go away. It's on the books now. It's, it's not a matter of just nobody enforcing it or, or, it, or it falling away. It, it's going to take, you know, some moving and shaking for anything to be peeled back. And, and I'm just wondering across the industry, if that's still the case, if there's a lot of retailers that are not keeping up with it and are not motivated and they're not, you know, raising awareness with their clientele or, or what's going on. Are they going to get out of the business too? Or are they going to stick with it? Yeah, and yeah. Put in the work? 
I, I'm a little anxious to see how that's going to pan out. You know, it's a really good point, actually. Um, because I, I would, I'm not a sit in a shop twice a week sort of a guy. I, I just, I just can't be. I have family. <laughs> uh, but I think that for those who are, um, it would be really interesting to get their opinion, their informed opinion on this. I know the the last time that I was in a shop was just probably three weeks ago, maybe. Um, I was meeting with Ian, uh, regular listener to the show, 406cigars.com, that Ian. Um, and uh, I think that that shop owner or manager was very much status quo. Oh, yeah, come in. would be great to see you next week, too. Not not a conversation to be had about the FDA. It was more just, oh, don't worry about it. Everything's going to be fine. We'll get through it. Buy a cigar. Support your local retailer. You know, it, and so I don't know if that was ignorance or if that was positivity or if that was uh, not wanting to have a conversation with a customer potentially, you know, not wanting to scare somebody off. I, I, I don't know what that was, but in my limited experience, it seems, uh, uh, it seems that really nobody's raising a red flag and I don't, I don't know if that's uh, intentional or not. Yeah, me neither. Hmm. Sorry, I, I was distracted by gunfire. Oh, jeez. Well, yeah, I don't know. I, I, uh, when I say I'm anxious to see it, oftentimes I mean I'm anticipating what's going to happen, and that's still the case. But I'm a little anxious. I mean, if I would hate for that big a ball to be dropped and, and for there to be a much worse impact from the, this whole migration or evolution within the industry than there has to be. Hey, I say that last part again. I was typing and I did not hear you. I would hate for there to be a worse impact from, uh, from an, uh, a lack of understanding or motivation to be more involved or, or, do the things we just outlined with your clientele and with you know, some kind of proactive step. I would hate for somebody just to end up in worse shape because they didn't think it's going to be a big deal. I, I would hate for our industry to be impacted negatively because of that too. But I, I have to, if I was to put myself in a retailer's shoes, what would I be doing? I would be educating people about about the FDA and the efforts to exempt uh, cigars from FDA's regulation, no doubt about it. But I don't know if I would be incredibly proactive about about doing anything other than spurring a conversation amongst my clientele because I don't know if there are those solid answers to be had out there. No one knows. You know, so that would be if I was a retailer, that would be a huge part of uh, of it for me. If I wasn't somebody who was comfortable and wanting to have uh, an in-depth conversation, I would be worried about mentioning anything because there's not a lot of facts. There's just mostly speculation. Right. So I, I mean, a part of it comes down to the the personality of the the, the owner. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know. Yep, I'm with you. 
I I think you're absolutely right, though. If anybody, you know, any of our listeners who are out there who who do uh, regularly interact with shops or just one shop, I would love to hear um, kind of an answer to the question you're posing. What's going on at your shop? What what are people saying? What is the owner saying? What are the managers saying? Is anyone proactive? Is this even being discussed? And what is it? Right. Hmm. So, hey, there's an idea for those listeners out there that are retailers or know retailers well or just hang out in a <laughs> in a shop watching what's going on. Let us know. Tell us what you see. Be some eyes and ears. Yes, sir. Oh, so what is next? Next is kind of continuing on the Drew Estate theme. Um, and this only caught my attention because I'm a bit of a fan of some portions of the existing lines uh, in the Drew Estate line. And there's been reports trickling in from various places around the U.S. that they are receiving shipment of an undercrown sun-grown line extension, uh, presumably at the very least a new wrapper. And, uh, you know, I don't know what else is changing internally with the cigar, not changing, being added. I I don't want to imply that something's being knocked out uh, by it, but with the addition of the undercrown undercrown sun-grown, that's hard as heck to say. Um, these things are popping up, and I still, to this day, adore the Robusto uh, Underground, the original. Um, I have now smoked a couple of the Shade, the Connecticut uh, version of the Underground, and it's, it's not really right at my alley. Uh, I can appreciate the cigar. It's well-made, and, and the blend is well done. It's just not something that appeals to me in a big way, um, but... They haven't really told us much about them. They're just kind of showing up on retailers' uh, invoices and and shelves. And so uh, I'm anxious in a different way. I'm anticipating this one. I'm going to give this one a try. Uh, Next time I have someone coming down, I'm going to see if I can wrangle up a couple of these and get down this way. What what is the wrapper? They've said nothing, but the line is is called is the Undercrown Sungrown, um, and it's differentiated from the the blue of the original line and the white of the Undercrown Shade. And this one is red, it has red packaging, red bands, the whole spiel. And the, the pictures of the boxes I've seen just say Undercrown Sungrown. They don't really tell anything else that's in the cigars. Interesting. Yeah. I, I don't have enough uh, experience with the regular Undercrowns, but I have been smoking a fair bit of the Undercrown Shades, um, just basically because Mike Stewart has invented his Mimic line, and mm-hmm. uh, I think I actually like his Mimic more than I like the the plain Undercrown Shade, but uh, I have smoked uh- a couple of those, and... I, I agree. I had his mimic. He left a couple of them with me when he was here. And I think I even posted in the forum that I believe I actually prefer his, his version over the, the actual cigar he was mimicking. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, definitely prefer the Vitola. 
What Vitola did you have? Uh, it was like a shortish uh, Lancero, maybe not quite seven inches long, a little bit shorter. A Cronus Extra-ish? Ish, yeah, it, it was really narrow. Uh, maybe even a Petite Corona. Not Petite Corona, Petite Lancero. <clears throat> I don't know. I didn't measure it. It just seemed like a Lancero that had a little cut off the end. Hmm. Well, I uh, I have not had that size, but I like. I think I, I've only had two of his, but I like them more than the shades. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. I just added something to the notes because I had forgotten about it till right now. But um, this has kind of made the rounds this week. But uh, CRA just sent an email out today, actually, about lunchtime. That uh, Senator Senator Bill Nelson, Democrat in Florida, has reintroduced the legislation to exempt premium cigars from the existing FDA regulation, what we've been talking about for months now. Um, this has been tried a couple of times, hasn't really gotten very far, um, but it was has been reintroduced again with uh there's a list here of 10 original sponsors and co-sponsors. Um, looks like Montana, West Virginia, Arizona, Hawaii, Pennsylvania. Hawaii. What? <laughs> <laughs> you don't see that on the yeah, Democratic senator from Hawaii co-sponsoring something to exempt cigars. And that, that I did not read that list till right now. That, you don't uh, say, Kip. That, that shakes me. I was not expecting that to see that on there, but wow. Um, anywho, like the uh, previous bills, Marco Rubio, uh, Republican senator in Florida, is again the primary Republican co-sponsor on the bill, and uh, Bill Nelson, senator, Democratic senator from Florida, is uh, is on the other side of the aisle. Um, but this is kind of has a two pronged two two main aspects. One is to exempt premium cigars as you know categorically from this legislature from this regulation. And now that you've corrected that, I have to try and remember to do that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, and as, as well as define what is a premium cigar, which is something that. We have kicked around on this show uh, countless times in the past of you know how this how this would even be defined and there's been a couple of attempts um, but under S two ninety four the uh, the qualifications that are outlined in the CRA email is that it has to be wrapped in one hundred percent leaf tobacco and bunched in one hundred percent tobacco filler. Which leads me to ask, what what about in the regulations that have all the stipulations for anything else besides water that's added, such as bethun and the adhesives, all that kind of thing? I, I guess this would certainly uh, leave flavored cigars out in the cold in the sense of you know, cased tobacco or whatever. But what about bethun? It's something that's applied to leaf by the majority of factories, although a tiny minority will admit it. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I have stood 
in a factory in this country with a man telling me he didn't use uh, Bethune and, you know, there's 25 gallon wine jugs across the shelf. <laughs> I know where that wine's destined. I know what you're doing with that. Don't tell me you don't spray your leaf. But anyway, uh, further stipulations or qualifications are it cannot contain a filter, filter tip or other non-tobacco mouthpiece. I'm not sure what those other non-tobacco mouthpieces are, if not a filter or filter or tip. I don't know what they'd be. Must weigh at least six pounds per thousand count. So that's a that's not going to include little cigars. That's going to be sizable cigars anyway. Six pounds of cigars is a lot. I guess though with a thousand of them, um, must have a hundred percent tobacco binder and is hand rolled or is made with human hands to lay the wrapper or binder onto one machine that bunches, wraps, and caps the individual cigars, or has a homogenized tobacco leaf binder and is made in the United States using human hands to lay a 100% leaf tobacco wrapper onto one machine that bunches, wraps, and caps each individual cigar. That sounds like a <laughs> J.C. Newman exception. There. You can say that again. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> Yeah, no joke. By the way, those machines in the J.C. Newman factory in Tampa that roll their cigars. Unbelievable. They are. They are absolutely incredible. They're they are old, old machines. But um, I may have these numbers reversed, but I think the numbers I'm remembering were there are 8,000 parts to these machines and they're not very big. I mean, oh they're, my gosh. they're basically uh, oversized tables. There may be five or six feet square uh, footprint um, and just incredibly complex and all these little moving parts. And, and some of them are old enough. They have to fabricate parts because nobody makes parts for these things anymore. And the, it, it's hypnotizing to sit there and watch them uh, put the, you know, shake the it's mixed filler and it's it's all tobacco uh, everything we saw was all tobacco it was you know the offcuts from other cigar processes um and it shakes down through this uh, hopper and it fills it into uh, 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 it's bound with the binder and then a little vacuum pad that holds the wrapper leaf and the thing is rolled across i, can't, I certainly can't describe it it's worth going to that factory, even for guys who don't smoke machine-made cigars, it's worth going to the J.C. Newman factory sometime if you get a chance in Tampa. Right, It's just outside Ybor. Um, it's a really cool place. Uh, aside from the factory floor itself, they have uh, put up a, a museum on the bottom floor, which is not huge, but it has a ton of cool stuff over the past 120 two years or so of J.C. Newman history. Um, it, it's definitely worth a stop if you're in Tampa. I think Frank Halaiko said he was in Tampa just a little while ago. He's down visiting on his almost annual trip to Florida. Um, it, it's a cool stop, cool way to spend an afternoon. Um, and I haven't, how did I get off on this rabbit trail? But <laughs> I would just wonder if that... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, sorry. Anyway, the bill's been reintroduced. 
and we'll see how much traction it gets. Um, you know, I, I don't want to be the negative dude and fall into a trap of discouragement with this. Uh, but we, it's been difficult to watch it. This kind of thing started and, and falter so many times in the past. We don't seem as a community to be able to get the oomph behind us to, to all get on the same page at the same time. And hopefully we can kind of get get past that at some point before it's too awful late. I'd say that's uh, that's a reasonable wish. Well, well, go ahead. No, I was I was gonna push us to the next. What uh, what is next? Well, we have politicians in two very different states pushing for massive increases in their existing cigar tax. Um, first is Governor John Kasich of Ohio, who's requesting an increase from the existing 17% of wholesale per cigar to 69% of wholesale, which is is quadrupling the promise. It's over 300% increase in the tax. That's that's going to translate into several dollars per cigar for your average nine or ten buck cigar. Um, and he's doing this through a budget request. It's his new proposed budget. He's done something similar, but not maybe quite as drastic uh, in the past. It did not go through in the past. I don't know what the chances are. Either of these two we're about we're talking about going actually making it anywhere, but it, it's the kind of thing that if you pound on a rock long enough, at some point it's going to break. And where you introduce this and it doesn't pass, we just do it again. And you know, it's kind of the the flip side of what we we're talking about with exemptions and 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 petitions and that kind of thing where it's discouraging for it to keep not happening. But this on the other side, is going to be discouraging when this actually makes it through uh, the process. Uh, the other, other one was uh, a bill introduced in a Senate bill, state Senate bill in New Mexico that would increase their cigar tax from 25% of wholesale to 75% wholesale which is not quite as drastic an increase, but their tax is already quite a bit higher than the Ohio one. And, and this is legislation. It's not a budget proposal. So, you know, I don't know. The governor's budget goes into legislative review process as it does every time. And this New Mexico bill is now moving on to committee, but holy cow, these are, these are, Big league <laughs> increases. Oh these yeah, are, these are not not your extra five cents or fifteen cents you're going to pay on a cigar. These will make dollars of difference for every cigar you buy in those two states if if they were to make it to rubber meet in the road. Do we have any idea or any? And admittedly, I'm not the uh, the legislative expert on any of these increases, but do we have any real solid information as to why Kasich is, is proposing this increase? 
I don't recall. It seems like the last time around it was um, something to do with paying kids' health care or something. I don't remember now. I, uh, it's been a while. I'm just always curious when Republicans are moving forward with something that seems contrary to party lines. Yeah. And, and by the way, these both of these include tax increase increased taxes on cigarettes as well that are hefty increases and um, e-cigarettes which are I believe in uh, Ohio if I'm remembering right are not even taxed at the moment it would be a whole new tax category for them and they would be taxed at that same 69% rate dang yeah. Double dog bang. <laughs> <laughs> All I'm, right. I'm digging back an old story. I Googled it and um, found an old story from the original Kasich proposal in 2014 that was on half wheel. The story was on half wheel. And it was, he was proposing this increase to. <clears throat> replace revenues lost from tax cuts in other places. Huh. Boy, that's, uh, that is ripe for somebody crying hypocrisy there. Yeah. Well, looks like it was planned or desired to be brought it to fruition, to be able to reduce the, in the state income tax. All right. Uh, hi, Rick. Okay. Well, that's interesting. I'm not exactly the biggest fan of that uh, justification, but I don't have enough information to uh, state a rebuttal at this point. So, yeah, we'll see how it shakes out. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I know, Kip. I'm looking at it as well. <laughs> Uh, we will throw this out the first half of that mysterious note I left in the show. Um, we have not been talking about this because the stories became so frequent and so widespread that we could spend an hour every week or every two weeks, certainly filling in gaps with what new town community region, state, whatever is increasing the, the age, the purchasing age for tobacco. And those stories have not gone away and they have been accelerating at a crazy pace. Um, you know, we, we have said years ago that as California goes, New York goes and then the rest of the country. And that's kind of what's happening here. This initially started, uh, the best of my recollections, in a few California communities. And now, across the nation, it uh, seems like where we're headed is a de facto, if not official and formal, formalized increase of the purchase age of tobacco from 18 to 21. It's already 19 in a lot of states and 21 in many, many municipalities. Um, it, it doesn't stay on my radar because 
any number of reasons, mainly because there are bigger irons in the fire. It's not that big a deal. If, you know, I didn't smoke my first cigar till I was 20 anyway, even though it would have been legal and would have been commonplace <laughs> if illegal for me to have had a cigar before then. But I, I guess they're just bigger fish to fry. And these stories are so numerous at this point, it doesn't make sense to keep throwing them out there. But it seems to be we're, we're headed in the, in that direction where it's going to be 21 uh, rather than 18, just about everywhere throughout the U S for purchasing tobacco. And I don't know that it honestly makes that much difference. Friggin' CDC classifies up to 29-year-olds in some of their studies as minors that are smoking. <laughs> Who cares if they're 18 or 21 now? Yeah, really. <clears throat> it's, uh... You know what else I saw? Shoot. It's been a couple of years ago, but it still is a bug in my crawl. When you go and dig up some of the, the uh, dig into a particular study and their criteria, you doing things like setting the adult age at 26 or 29 to make a study show what you want it to is bothersome to me. So certainly dishonest on some level. Uh, even if it's published, it's usually in the fine print somewhere. And it's always an irritant. But I remember one in particular that came out that people who were worse, I don't remember now, if it was were smokers or were smoking at the time, and I don't know how that would be demonstrable, uh, of a car accident were claimed as smoking-related deaths in the death rate numbers in a study. What? <laughs> yes. Oh wow, <laughs> that's uh, that's one that you gotta imagine somebody is is going. How can we do this? <laughs> why? I know, and gotta be so sinister. Why? Uh, it's not like for many things related to smoking that you, there's some risk involved. You know what? Cigar smoking in moderation, although I may have been accused a time or two of being immoderate, cigar smoking in moderation is likely from all available evidence, less, um, <laughs> peligroso than cigarette smoking or whatever. It's, it's not health food. It's not, not likely to add too many years to your life unless you buy into the philosophy of the relaxation involved lowers your heart rate and people that do. And the original surgeon general report would concur <laughs> with pipe smoking at the very least, but it, it's not like they would have to look too hard to show there is some risk involved. There's some risk with cigar smoking. It may be negligible. It may be, different things. It's not most cigar smokers don't inhale, so the big risk is not lung cancer. There's mouth, throat, or intestinal tract cancers that have some degree of increased risk, uh, depending on which study you read, it's three percent to some crazy high number. But I mean it, it's not like they have to make up something or 
set their criteria so wide to capture more people to prove a point, why not just be freaking reasonable instead of do something so far out in left field that you automatically lose half your audience when they see that and discount your your data to start with? Why not just build a, a sound study that says, okay, yeah, there's some risk involved. Here's what we found. Here are numbers to the best of our ability. Instead of saying, you know, we're going to include 28-year-olds as underage smokers because we set our criteria as 29 being an adult. <laughs> I don't know why we can't just, why can't we just all get along? I am. I'm no expert, and I would value someone's input who who is. Though, if you call yourself an expert, I'm not exactly sure I want your opinion. But uh, I I gotta imagine that it has an awful lot to do with the funding for those studies. What does yeah. the 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 financier want to prove? Because there's got to be an end game. You're you're attempting to find something out. Is what you're attempting to find out to support a, an agenda, or is what you're attempting to find out just to educate yourself and to do what's best for the public? And I can't imagine that there are very many studies going on that legitimately can say they have remained solely objective. <clears throat> I, I right. can't. I, I don't think that that means that in the vast majority of them, science is overruled for for uh, uh, agenda, but I certainly think that it plays a part at least in the the uh, the hands of the party that is doing the funding for that. They have an opinion and they are trying to fund something to support that opinion. And uh, I mean, it's, it's like going to a doctor. A doctor says, <clears throat> I need to amputate your arm. You've got Snarfelglubin syndrome. I would hope you're going to go get a second opinion and a third opinion to try to confirm that. It's kind of what my whole take on studies, health studies has been. I can read one study, but the fact of the matter is, is they may only be studying 500 individuals or individuals from a certain region or XYZ variables you want to throw in there. You really need to do your best as an informed consumer to educate yourself on as broad of not as broad, as vast of amount of knowledge and as vast a number of studies as you can get. And the fact of the matter is, is that it's just so gosh darn hard to do with cigars because there, A, aren't a lot of applicable studies, and B, the studies that you can find information on are so ripe with with influence from the in, the, uh, <clears throat> the the health industry that it's difficult to find true applicability rather than inference. Rather than rather than implication, it's it's tough, man. It's really tough. Yeah, it, I know. I'm kind of going off on a bit of a tangent, but we're half ashed. That's what we do. Yeah, it's kind of our thing. I mean, it's like the Occupational Safety and Health Administration coming in and telling a particular factory in East Tennessee that you're robbing your people of their hearing. You're killing their ears. You're not adequately protecting their hearing. When, you know, there's programs in place, there are earplugs furnished, 
the testing's been done, valuations are done year after year after year and showing a decline. Nobody thinks of the fact that this particular factory in East Tennessee is staffed by 55 to 65 year old people because it's an aging population as a union shop and everybody younger than that's been laid off because it's a dying industry. And all these people go home and shoot all the time because they're hunters and target shooters and they're just plowing their eardrums shooting guns all week long after work and on the weekends. Had nothing to do with their industrial setting, but that's where the blame went because that's where the agenda was. Hmm. Not that I know anything <laughs> about that. <laughs> I was going to say, boy, that's awful specific. It doesn't have anything to do with your life, can it, Kip? <laughs> no. Maybe no, not. no. Wait, wait. Did, did you perhaps have an agenda and what information you were sharing? <laughs> uh, I digress. Well, short of any other news stories, I know there's a, a Senate bill introduced to with an attempt to yet again exempt uh, premium cigars from the FDA's regulation. But uh, short of any any uh, new information on that front or any other news stories, shall we jump into uh, some of these mini reviews for what we've been smoking since the last show? Yeah, but first, tell me what you got going on with that cigar. You know, that's a good idea. Um, I am entering the final third. I, I, I guess my comments now are going to have to sum up the entirety of the uh, the middle of this cigar because there's there's not too much left of it. Um, <clears throat> I have absolutely none of the dark, deep, uh, roasty, toasty sweetness that you talked about. None of it. Mm-hmm. Not a lick. It's gone. Um, the tannic tenacity no not tenacity the tannic flavor has changed ability <laughs> wow tannic abilityness uh it, it has changed it's not what it was in the beginning but it's still there it's morphed into almost a variation of a citrus flavor for me um let me let me take another puff see if i can give you a little bit more specific here uh we will just watch the maestro at work I'd say that we've gotten stronger, definitely. It's a little bit harder of a cigar to retrohale now than it was earlier on. Um, it was never air, but it it's instantaneously uh, you're hit with a sensation now as compared to before when that was just not the case. Um, <clears throat> I think that there's that crispness is almost like a, a minty, menthol-y sensation. Um, and it might be that I'm puffing on this a little bit fast, and so I'm slightly overheating it. I, I don't know. The cigar hasn't gotten bitter, and it's not losing its positive flavors. Um, and I think that kind of that minty or menthol-y flavor can at times come with an overheated cigar. But I, I'm leaning towards this not being the case, that it's it's part of the actual blend, what this is transitioning into. Um, and I think it's still kind of all related to that tannic, uh, flavor, how that crispness is evolving. Um, maybe there's a bit of cocoa powder and that bitter crispness is, is playing into that a little, but it's not deep. It's not dark. It's just uh, almost a dusty cocoa. 
Yeah, it's bright. <clears throat> yeah, it is much on. brighter. Um, uh, I, I'm right there with you uh, in large part. Uh, I think the the golly, I, I don't know what the word would be for tannicness. So we'll just call it that. I'll just call it that. You can call it whatever you want. But, but the tannicness is uh, hollow, for lack of a better word. It's not solid. It's not deep. It's not uh, as bold as I think it was when I was smoking these a year ago. Um, but at the same time, I totally agree. None of the sweetness I remember, none of the the raisin and date kind of flavors. I'm not, none of that. It, it is bright. I don't know that I may have reached back for citrus, but I can see where you're, what you're talking about, but it's not maybe something I would have pulled out of the air to describe it. Um, not much sweetness at all. It's just airy and, and bright and wispy. It's not a super dense kind of smoke, although it does leave a lingering finish for me. It, it stays there between puffs. It doesn't go away at all. I still keep that flavor uh, between every puff. Hmm. Does this have a long finish for you? Um, long, but not deep. And what I mean by that is long afterward, I can still tell it's there. I can taste it if I'm thinking about it, but it's not a thick, heavy fur in the mouth kind of finish that, that, that tells you it's there repeatedly and punching you in the throat. That's, you know, I, when you say that, it's it's there but not deep. That makes sense. This isn't a... Um, <clears throat> this isn't... How do I want to put this without... without making a connotation that isn't intended? Um... It's, I'll say this, it's not like a cigar that is extremely full-bodied where the, the almost the density of that smoke rests on your palate and you're consistently able to taste it because it's, I mean, it, it physically feels as if it's still on your tongue. Yeah. It's not like that, but it's, it's almost like a, a perfume, no, not perfumey, like a like a potpourri sense, where it's like a, an air freshener, the a, a cigar air freshener. But in your in your <laughs> sinuses, you can sense that it's there. You can smell that, but it's not so much as a flavor as it is an aroma, a finish that's more of an aroma than anything else. Yeah, yeah, it, it persists, but uh, again, for me. A lot of times, a really, really bold cigar, uh, put, put a cigar down and think, you know, I'm st- I'm going to know all about that cigar tomorrow morning. Uh, it feels like I got carpet in the mouth, and, and it's just going to hang around for a while. This yeah. is not this is has staying power, but it's not that dense. It's just it's faint, but it's long lasting for me. Hmm. But tell me about the PLPC. Tell me what PLPC stands for. Ah, uh, Porlaniaga Petit Corona. Okay. 
so I uh, I lit this cigar up my last of uh, I think 2012 cab, uh, maybe a 2010 something like that. Um, <laughs> let me see if I wrote this same thing here. Uh, hold on one second. Uh, yeah, I did write it. Okay, nice of you I, to I wrote, join the notes for this show. No, no, no. I was in the notes. I just had a pop up from AVG that I was that had taken over my screen. So I was reading that and trying to get rid of it. Um, so I, I wrote on my review of this cigar. Um, oh no, this isn't what I wanted to read. I, I wrote it as a review on a, another site. Um, basically, PLPC is a cigar that has a very good track record for me. I don't love Por Laranagas. They're there's not a lot of Atolas. Um it, this is not a cigar where you can go out and buy oh, I'll just go buy my Por Laranaga Robusto today or my Por Laranaga Torpedo. And they just don't exist. Um so Por Laranagas from Cuba are in just a very few number of Atolas. A Petit Corona, um a Panatella uh, a Lonsdale, which is rarely available, but is just a little bit. And then a series of individual one-off releases. Um, so there's kind of not a, a themed set of Vitolas. Uh, yeah, it's kind of more the connoisseur-ish. Um, really, I'd say like a third-tier Cuban brand. There's not a huge following, though the following that is there is a little cultish. Um, so... I have not had spectacular experiences over the years as a whole with Por Laranagas. In fact, for a long time, I didn't even like the PLPCs. But um, I had a couple good examples a while ago and decided, you know, I'll give these another try. And I made a concerted effort. Uh, this is before Half Ash ever started. And realized, no, I had just had some bad examples. But this cigar on a whole is splendid, breathtaking. PLPCs are caramel and tobacco flavors in the perfect harmony, the perfect proportion, the most glorious mix of sweet tobacco flavors you could ever want. Breathtakingly good. Uh, And I love my petite Coronas. I smoke them for an hour, hour and a half. They give me a great experience. And and, uh, I, I, I just can't complain most of the time. But I wrote here, don't you just hate it when a good cigar is transitioning? And this Por Laranaga was soapy and sour in how it tasted. Um, I, I, but the problem, well, not the problem, but the annoying part was that I could still taste that glorious sweet profile in the background. It just was overshadowed by that soapy taste. And that just irks me. It, it was absolutely like, <laughs> like your brother gets the Christmas present that you had wanted to open up on Christmas. He gets it instead of you. <laughs> You're so close to it, but nope, it's not going to be a good experience. It just, uh, it, it bothered me. And um, uh, I don't know. It's slightly irrational. If you're going to have one cigar out of 50 that are, uh, that doesn't perform great, that's not really the end of the world. But um I thought it was worth just sharing my frustration. I have an experiment for you to try. 
uh, rinse my mouth out of water and soap before I smoke a cigar? No. Do you think cilantro tastes soapy? I do not. I did not either. My entire life. Until right about the end of the dog watch days. And if I eat a dish with cilantro in it, nothing even remotely similar, familiar to being soapy. And Dave Zach, who at times has hung out in, in the chat room and whatnot, he goes by Zach Anudo, and is a, a good friend of mine, lived close to where I lived in Florida. Um, good dude. <laughs> a wealth of musical knowledge like no one I've ever met in my life. But anyway, he said he thought it tasted soapy. And I said, you're crazy. <laughs> Doesn't taste soapy. It tastes nothing like soap. And if you take a piece of cilantro, stick it in your mouth and chew it, no. But if you take half a teaspoon of just cilantro and stick it in your mouth and chew it, it was the soapiest, most vile, get your mouth washed out with soap kind of flavor I've ever had in my life. And it was nothing like cilantro properly used. It's worth trying just to see what huh. your taste buds do with it. I was 100% skeptical. I'd eaten so much cilantro, you'd think I was trying to grow it in my gut in my whole life, but never had associated it with being soapy until doing that. And instantly, it was very soapy to me. So, so if you have a Mexican dish right now, a, a, a Mexican taco, so onions and cilantro with whatever your your uh, meat is on a corn tortilla that has a soapy flavor to you? Nope, not at all. Not not with oh. other foods involved. Just a spoonful of just cilantro, nothing else. I, I thought you were saying that after that, now you're tasting the soapy oh, no. flavor. No, okay. I, I we eat cilantro now like we're never going to see it again. And, uh, it's very rare that a day goes by I don't eat something with cilantro in it. We sometimes put it in rice. We make pico with it, make guacamole with it. And we just use a lot of cilantro. But never have that soapy taste. It's only if you get a handful of it and chomp on it for a while. I, I grow, well, I, I don't grow cilantro now because it's 9 degrees outside, but I grew cilantro uh, last summer, and I, I would just eat it off the vine, and I I never had that sensation off the vine, yeah. off the stem. If you're growing it on a vine, you may want to check your seeds. <laughs> yeah, really. Hey, do you know the association of coriander and cilantro? Uh, yeah, coriander is the cilantro plant seed. Yes, I did not know that until six weeks ago, maybe. What is what is the only plant that is a vegetable, herb, and spice? <laughs> I don't know, cilantro. <laughs> no, fennel. Fennel. <laughs> 
Hey, we're talking horticulturalism, <laughs> horticultural items. I thought it was a useful fact. I didn't know it until I was looking for fresh coriander. There was a recipe. I don't even remember what it was we were doing. And it asked for fresh coriander. I'm like, what the heck? I've never seen it except in jars. <laughs> and I started digging around, and it turns out cilantro is is or was this and I guess still is the Spanish word for this thing. And so here it's always cilantro. Hmm. In the UK, it's always coriander, whether it's fresh the herb or the seeds, it's all coriander. It's the U.S. that differentiates the two. It causes all the problems in recipes in other countries. <laughs> well, I uh, I didn't know that it was only America that thought of them as different things, but I did well, know what they were. I don't know if it's only America. That's just the article I dug up when I was trying to track this down. That was it cited the U.S. as being the culprit. <laughs> I, uh, I I might give that a try. I'm interested in kind of that soapy flavor. I, I have read studies that say that uh, I think people who are classified as super tasters typically find cilantro to be soapy. There's a certain – super tasters aren't people who can taste more. It's, it's kind of a, you know, a, a goofy uh, – inaccuracy about what a super taster is in reality it's just people who can taste this one individual specific chemical um, and not many people who can do it and i think that (laughs) fresh coriander um, has that chemical in it i think that's related to what we're talking about here and that's one of the reasons why some people find it to have that soapy flavor maybe so i do not i did not until I tried just a big wad of cilantro in the mouth, and then it was clear as a bell. <laughs> Anything that can be described as a big wad of in the <laughs> mouth, I typically, I, I might refrain from. <laughs> you should do it. <laughs> well, I, uh, I might. We'll see. All right, well, so I shared my uh, definition of a PLPC. Can you tell me what the heck a Contenero is? Uh, Cantinero is a bartender. Okay. Can you tell me what the heck a bartender is listed in your other interests of what you've smoked recently? I can do that. I um, uh, have a friend of mine here, a Dominican gentleman named Dave. David. And I have known him now through all three of the cigar shops that I have been to in this town. Well, the three main ones that I've been to in this town. And Dave has recently been putting together his own cigar shop. And it's it's open for business, but not complete yet. Still doing some construction. The humidor is not fully stocked, that kind of thing. But uh, it's very near where I had to be today. I had to buy tires because I didn't have much tire left. Most of my tires were plugged. Did you need half a plug? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> That's a Sorry. stupid story about me that Michael Stewart was here here and exposed to and brought it up on the forum. Nobody there knows that story yet, but uh, I'll, I'll tell that in a minute. I don't care. I, I look stupid anyway. Might as well look stupid and make people laugh. 
But Dave also is releasing a line of cigars. He is working with this same factory, uh, Chico, uh, the, I believe, now former lender dude for Quesada. I think he's now mostly focused on his operations where the Chopui are made, the Campesinos, the Caminos, the quite a number of small upstart Dominican cigars are now coming out of that factory. And there's, there's in the same way that I claim I can identify A.J. Fernandez cigars blindly the majority of the time, there is a theme to Chico's work, his blending. There, there are some commonalities amongst the cigars that come out of that factory. And, I, and I'm in my little mind, I believe that's his fingerprints on the blends. Uh, although these guys create their own blends, I think they are under his tutelage and that works out to his fingerprints being on the blend. But anyway, Dave is putting out one of the cigars. Here's the band off one. I had to be nearby and Uber now operates in Santiago huh. and it is dirt cheap. So Nick and I caught an Uber for 75 pesos over to the cigar shop while we were waiting on the tires to be put on. <laughs> and, uh, 75 pesos is like a buck, six, you know, $1.65, I think. And so right now, the first time I'd ever used Uber was today, and it was freaking amazing. But nonetheless, Dave's new cigar <laughs> is called Cantinero, and he, uh, I guess, is a fan of bartenders. I think that's even his name or was his name on some of his social media things was Cantinero Dave. Um and he's very much that kind of uh, tasting-oriented guy with food, with with drink, with cigars and everything. And uh, his cigar is coming out of that same factory that Chico uh, has over in Tamboril. And I really, really like this cigar. I got one today and smoked it. Actually, I got two, smoked one. Um, it has a lot of the things that... I found initially in the Dos Siete Siete Chowi that I loved so much. And I still, the Robusto, which is the Robusto Vitola in the Chowi, Dos Siete Siete, still love that cigar. But there was something intangible and magical about that cigar for me when I first smoked it. I, I, I have enjoyed many, many cigars out of that factory, but the Chowi. Robusto, um, Dosiete Siete has always been my favorite. Although I don't believe I just am as head over heels in love with them as I was the first few I smoked from that first batch that came out before they oh, ever really? went to the States and everything. Still, still love the cigar. I still smoke the cigars. But I found a lot of that in this cigar today. It had a little extra sweetness that never, ever got too thick or, or too cloying or anything. But it stayed there throughout the length of that cigar. And it was, it was a sizable cigar. Maybe not quite a Churchill, but not far from it. It was a bigger cigar. And I really enjoyed it. And I'm looking forward to the next one and see how that pans out. Um, but... I, I was. I have smoked 
all of these other brands that are coming out of that factory, the Noxio, I mentioned the Campesino, the Caminos. And I, the Campes, Campesinos are actually very high up on that list with the Chowee. Um, and, and this one now is, is there with them. Uh, I was really impressed with it. Uh, the Caminos really liked, but from my, from my standpoint of judging the cigar, for what it is and what it's meant to be. It's a fantastic cigar. It's not really my chosen preferences. It, it for my taste, not for the uh, qualities of the cigar itself, but for my taste, it was a little out of sync with what I was looking for in, in that it was a little stronger, a little more strong than flavorful for me. Um, so I didn't really just adore the Caminos, although I enjoyed it, but, I would not regularly reach for them just because of that strength was a little much for, for me. Um, a lot of nicotine fiends out there would love it. I am admittedly a nicotine wuss, though, so I, I can't deal with too much. But dug the crap out of the Continero. Really liked it. And hmm. only based on the one today. Uh, and I got one more. But if it goes well, I'm trying to get some more because they're not very expensive. They're brand new. and Right now, I believe that's the only shop you can get them at. I uh, I think that I will hold off. You know, I I doubt I'll be making a trip down, you know, to pick any up anytime soon. But <laughs> even if I was making a trip down, I'd probably hold off. I, I think I've had my fair share of cigars that I think were a little bit heavy on nicotine and light on flavor. I don't know if I need to. Oh, now that's not this cigar today. I was talking about the Camino that was a little more strong than flavorful for my taste. My mistake. Excuse me. Yeah. I, I kind of danced around several cigars in that rambling road wreck of a <laughs> mono, what my monologue I was just throwing out there. <laughs> you noticed? <laughs> uh, well... I have one more to talk about here, and it's one that I, I think not very many of our listeners have gonna or have heard of here. Um, I don't think I've heard of it. Really, I thought that you smoked these. I, if huh. I did, I don't remember them. Well, uh, the cigar is the Core Zero, and the Vitola is the Indy. Um, excuse me, the line is the Indy. Excuse me. Uh, it's uh, Robusto-ish, and this was gifted to me along with a few others from Dale Rausch. Uh, so way back before the last Dog Watch episode, um, Dale asked me to smoke a couple of these cigars for the final show, for episode 410. Um, so I did, or so I thought I did, until I found one last one of these in my singles drawer uh, just the other day. I lit it up, and it was absolutely full of the sweet spice um, that I get from Dominican cigars that I adore. And, like, this, without a doubt, unquestionably solid peanut brittle uh, type of flavor. It was it was really, really good. Um, the cigar just brought a... a a lot of these good flavors to the table. 
but the good was matched with some minor issues as well, and including a bite that, that really wasn't strength so much as it was probably more akin to harshness. Um, it wasn't a harsh cigar. It's just there was a sensation that came along that wasn't just flavor and it wasn't strength and it wasn't overwhelming. It was just like there was one bit of tobacco that was in the cigar that was just harsh. I wrote uh, an early version of this uh, review saying that it was, it reminded me of um, almost under-processed tobacco where you, you are getting some strength from it, but Paramount, or uh, excuse me, um, more, I guess, specific than strength is that kind of just kicking the teeth harshness that comes from the, the other impurities or imperfections that are in the tobacco. The cigar itself did not have much of that, but it had enough to where it was noticed. Um, now, it wasn't a cigar for serious smokers. This wasn't coming across as being you know, a stick that challenges you, or even, I might even say that some of the Casa Fernandez stuff can come across to me as being harsh. This wasn't a cigar that lined up with that end of the spectrum. But, excuse me, um, on the converse, I don't think that it was a cigar that I would hand a newbie because it did have this line of, of just unapproachable flavor that was there too. So it kind of fell into this, I don't know, this middle ground, this awkward middle ground that I think really, you know, uh, really caused the cigar itself to, to not have a market um, or to, to not have a large market. I'm sure that there were people like me who don't despise strong cigars, but really can find a lot that's beneficial in milder cigars. Uh, it's just, you know, I'm not exactly sure that I would, if I'm going to reach for a mild, inexpensive, flavorful cigar, it's going to be one that also has a negative attribute that I, that I don't like, but good stick for the fact that it was, you know, under five bucks, four fifty ish. Um, you know, I'm not quite sure who the audience was, as I said, but could certainly find enjoyable aspects about what I'd had. So, um, I don't think the company's around anymore. I did some minor searching earlier, and uh, what I thought was their website, czcigars.com, is it's it's vacant. There's uh, there's no more website there. So um, it, it was an interesting cigar. I'm pretty sure I talked about it on one of the final dog watches, but uh, this was a completely new experience to me. I've I've not really had a cigar that came across like this. So mild and suave in flavors, but just with that that line that, I don't know, kind of, I can't say that this was just a mild, flavorful, approachable cigar. With that slight bit of harshness to it, it just made it a little bit more difficult to uh, to categorize. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, I don't believe I ever smoked that. I googled up some images and I don't recognize the bands or anything. Oh, really? Huh. Man, I I swear we all got those before Dog Watch ended, but maybe that's not the case. I was not part of the Cool Kids Club. <laughs> I didn't get the Core Zero. 
Well, I got one more on the list, and this is the other cigar that I had today. And uh, Nick, my buddy Nick, and I also got the Chowee Longsdale. And that I'm not saying that incorrectly. That is actually the name of this Vitola for Chowee. He purposefully changes the names. Uh, I mentioned the Robusto is the name of his Robusto. And the Longsdale for his Lonsdale. And it, it's a little, little little beefier than what I may have called a Lonsdale. I, I didn't measure it or anything, but it seemed like it was slightly bigger than what I would have called a Lonsdale. But anyway, the Lonsdale, Longsdale is part of the Dos Siete Siete line, which has its own story that we've talked about before with the missing box number 277. Um, but this was an extension to that line. Uh, beyond the original Robusto size that it came out in. But I had not smoked this Vitolo until today. And we both smoked it, and I was sitting there thinking, this is the driest freaking cigar I think I've ever smoked. It, oh. it's, it's like sticking to your lips kind of dry. And wow. Nick Nick said the same thing. He was sitting there and he said, you know, this dang cigar is as dry as can be. So I don't think it was just me. It was, I don't know what what kind of reaction it was causing, but something was going on there. Um, not in the not to the degree that it was tearing the wrapper or anything like that. It was just something that we both independently noticed. Uh, it does did not have. Uh, much at all of the sweetness that I was just talking about with that Rogusto. Uh, it was an enjoyable cigar. It, it was nicely balanced with the flavor and strength. Um, and, and it did, it was a, I even stopped short of saying savory. It wasn't really savory. It was kind of citrusy. Um, orange more so than lemon or grapefruit. It didn't have that bitter kind of twang to it. Um, but I still believe I pretty strongly would prefer the um, the the Regusto. I think I like it, despite the fact that if I have two identical cigars and those two Vitolas, I'm going to take the Lonsdale every single time. But I think I I think the blend shines in the Robusto much more so than the Lonsdale for for whatever reason. Hmm. Hey, if I remember right, that Lonsdale is. It's like a forty-six, right? I feel I, like I feel like I don't remember. Big. I don't remember the dimensions, but yeah, it definitely seemed big. Hmm. Interesting. I uh, <clears throat> I'm surprised by that, but you know, I I guess it's not uh, it's not the first cigar that one of us would prefer in a thicker yeah. ring gauge. It is six and a half by forty-six. Okay, that's what I thought. I thought I remembered that being uh, like a big Corona Gorda, but wasn't positive. Uh-huh. With a a wrapper that I see them reference in this line of cigars, but I don't know what it really means. It just says Havana Seed Dominican wrapper. And what has now become ubiquitous in Dominican cigars, a Criollo 98 binder. That that leaf is being used like nobody's business in this country. Criollo 98, it's showing up in 
<laughs> almost dang near everything coming out of Dominican Republic right now. Um, and then Corojo and Dominican Habano 2020 are listed as filler tobaccos. Hmm. Interesting. Well, you, you developed an, an opinion different than what I would have expected. I, I had a thought that that one was right up your alley, but. Well, the Robusto is, you know, despite. No, no, I, I know, but the, the 46. Yeah, normally, every single time, that's what I would go for, a longer, more slender cigar. But I think I definitely prefer the, the Robusto just because I, I appreciate the flavors that come through in that, that Vitola for that blend. Well, very cool. Now, and now you know the rest of the story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that's uh, that's all the cigars that we smoked the last year. Do you have uh, you want to talk anything else about uh, this multi-tool, or you want to bring that up another night, or what's your thought? I do, because I don't. I, I may end up actually writing up a little snippet about this. I, I I was telling you before we started recording that for twenty years. I had a long-standing distaste and crotchety old attitude about scissor cutters for cigars. I just didn't like them. I, I tried a few early on, didn't care for them, and I knew full well what I had tried were cheesy, cheap piece of crap cutters. But on a whim, just because I saw like three mentions of this thing in a week's time that people really liked it. I ordered the Zycar MTX multi-tool, which is this little thing you see in the video hanging off my keychain here, which folds up into next to nothing dangling on your keychain that opens up into scissors and actually has a couple little screwdrivers and prongs and pokers and things built into the handles, but it has a tiny little profile and I was telling Craig, this this unsolicited, unsponsored, I bought this thing out of my own pocket, and so Zycar has no vested interest in this. But I have exclusively used this thing since coming down. I had Michael Stewart bring it. I ordered it, had it brought to his house, and he brought it with him. And um, you know what? It may have been Slago. I'm having trouble remembering who brought this down because I had – Several things come down with each of them. Anyway, it got down here about a month ago, and uh, I love the thing. It, it just it just works. It's it's very. I don't know if you can see that in the video, but very small, very narrow. It's, it's tight. Tight, yeah. It, it, it's not tight. It's easy. To move, but it's tight. It's it's profile. the The blades are held together well. Uh, you know, we'll see in a year or two years how how well it's held up if that's loosened up. Because scissors, the the bane of the existence of cigar scissors is when they get loose and they just butcher your cigar. But for right now, these sharp little jokers just snip a paper thin amount off if, if that's what you want and, and leave a nice clean edge on your cigar. I'm, I'm loving it just because I like having it attached to the keychain. and It's one less separate piece I have to keep up with crap in my pocket. 
and it folds up to nothing. I think it's fantastic so far. And that yeah, is from, I, uh, a, from a committed, long-time hater of cigar scissors. Just didn't like them, but, but this one has instantly and solidly grown on me. I absolutely, um, when you had mentioned, uh, you know, let's see how this works in a year or so, I had absolutely the same reaction. I am totally curious what that's going to be like after you use it and keep it on your chains and it bends and gets, you know, forms to your jeans when you're uh, leaning a certain way and pulling tight over them. I, I'm curious if that's ever even going to work like it has um, from the beginning in six months, three months, you know, what's that going to be like in another month? I, I don't know. I'm, yeah, we'll see. I mean, I, I smoke a fair number of cigars and the first month has been fantastic. I, I hope it holds up. If it holds up a reasonable, reasonable amount of time, I'd pick up another one and not think twice about it just for the, the convenience and the fact that it it just works. It does what it's supposed to do. Now, oh, don't get, how don't, expensive is it? Uh, it was about thirty bucks. On Amazon, which is discounted below Sycar's allowance for authorized accounts, but somebody's selling them that cheap. Hmm. Um, don't get me freaking started on Sycar lighters right now, though. Somebody mentioned that in the chat. <laughs> <laughs> I won't. Uh, Trezo. I love, loved that, that lighter. And I'm now on my fourth one and it doesn't work and I'm out of the country and can't do anything about it. Well, I think if you have to go through more than two of anything, maybe it's not just a, maybe it's not just a coincidence, but yeah, what do I know? Historically, I've had good luck with Zycar, but in recent years, their their lighters have given me a fair amount of trouble. And I'm gonna I'm gonna say something that I'm not attaching to Zycar. I, d- I don't know enough about the company, but I do know a little bit about hand tools and Craftsman. Here, I'm gonna mention Craftsman. We're probably gonna crash the show the way it did when I went off on Zycar um, Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> They have the same warranty they've had for 100 years or whatever that they'll replace their tools if they break whenever. Well, back in the day, I, I have some of my dad's tools from when he was young that are just perfectly usable, good shape, heavy made, well made, awesome tools. Still working today, 50 years later. But at some point along the line, their philosophy changed. Even though they have and honor the same warranty, you know, originally they had that warranty because, look, we make the best tools on the market for this price. They're going to last the rest of your life. They're they're not going to break, so we're going to give you a warranty. If they ever do break, we'll replace it. Somewhere along the line, that changed from that philosophy to – hey, we're going to make these as cheaply as we can so that we can replace it 10 times if we need to, and, and you're going to be bringing it back, so we're going to have to make it as cheap as we can <laughs> and make our money up front because we know they're going to break, and that's okay. It's uh, 
it's the age-old thing. I, I'm sure I've told this story here before, but when my grandmother died, she died at 92 years old, something like that, a few years back. Um, one of the most sought-after things that she was uh, passing on was a toaster that she received as her wedding present. An old GE toaster from 1946 that still worked. All the lights dim when you pushed it. <laughs> as perfectly as it did my entire father's childhood. My dad was born in 49, 50, something like that. And he talks about how that dang toaster, you put it on, it it gave you a piece of toast. It was perfect. It wasn't just brown on the outside. It was toast all the way through and the perfect color. And it worked like that. Uh, the, the, a cousin of mine's got it. I'm sure it still works like that. But, you know, you can, you can make it for uh, pennies on the dollar and have a disposable uh, society, I suppose. And it extends all the way to uh, Craftsman Tools. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that we might as well quit now. This show's going to fall apart before the night's over. It'll, <laughs> it'll be lost in space like episode 17. Well, we don't have very much left to go. Do you want to uh, give a wrap-up on this Cigar of the Week? I have set mine down. Yeah, i still got probably o- over a couple inches left, I suppose. But I didn't. I lit mine quite a bit later than you did. Um, it, I'm now into that uh, uptick in the strength that you mentioned has definitely picked up a notch. There's a little bit of um, almost ashiness has developed, which I'm not a huge fan of, but it's not a big enough problem yet to chase me away. I'm not dying to lay it down. As a matter of fact, I'll probably sit here and finish it after we end the show, but it's there. And I imagine it's going to intensify over the next few minutes. Um, Definitely lost any semblance of sweetness that may have ever been there. Uh, That's all gone. Uh, It's it's almost leathery now. Uh, Stop short of nutty. It's not quite nutty, but leathery. Um, Maybe still would not have reached for the word citrus, but more in that vein than when, I guess I'm getting more into where you were when you were describing it at that time. Um, still bright, still hollow. None of the darkness, none of the raisins, none of the dates ever appeared in this entire cigar. Um, so it's it seems like a different cigar than it did 20 months ago, I guess, when I first bought them. Yeah, doesn't it? Hmm. It, it really does. It's It's peculiar how some cigars in a year and a half are basically where you left them and others are just completely different. I guess that's what keeps it interesting. Yeah. That's what keeps it interesting. And that's, uh, that's why there aren't too terribly many people out there who I would consider, uh, experts in knowing what the heck goes on with a cigar when it comes to aging. Yeah. Hmm. Well, shall we, uh, close up shop? We're, just about at two hours here. Let's do it. Do it. Uh, oh, that's, you know, 
loses his lunch on the microphone. <laughs> we want to say thank you to everybody. Yeah, we do. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in, whether you're here with us live tonight or somewhere down the road, downloading and uh, catching us in the office, in the car, wherever you might be hearing us, uh, the sounds of these dulcet tones that broadcast across these great interwebs of ours. And, of course, we'd like to invite you back next time for episode 160, when I believe, unless plans change, we'll be smoking something from Southern Draw. Um, Robert Hope, uh, long ago now, sent in a number of samples, and I parted those up and sent half of them back with Mike for you, Craig. Uh, I'm not sure if you've met up with him yet or not. He's got some of those for you. And we will pick something from those and, and smoke next time. Um, Probably, and I only say probably because I think I'm going to hit Robert up and see if he wants to join us while we're smoking his cigar that night. And if he maybe could do it a different night, maybe we move it to a different show. And if that's the case, we'll figure out between now and then what that'll be. But uh, we invite you to drop us a line also uh, in between uh, now and then if you get a chance and you got a question or comments or concerns or complaints. We'd love to hear from you either way. Uh, you can catch us by email to Craig at halfashed.com or Kip at halfashed.com. Um, again, we'd love to hear from you. Whatever you got, just uh, lay it out there. And uh, you can find us also all the regular channels, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and as always on the Half Ashed Forum. Um, we'd love to have you join us over there as well. Absolutely. And, uh, it was nice to get back into the swing of things with you, Kipper. I, I told you earlier I was looking forward to tonight, and you did not disappoint. You were uh, one. One might even say that you bordered on slap happy a time or two this evening. So it was uh, it was nice to have that enthusiasm. I appreciated that. We started out with some laughs and maintained a good tone. I will try to dial up my crotchetiness for next show. <laughs> Shut up. Uh, well, as... Uh, <laughs> Zidman says, says, we'd also like to have Kurt, who, for those of you who don't know, Kurt is Craig, join us in the forum as well. <laughs> He's such a jerk. <laughs> I've got the second most, no, third most amount of posts of anybody. <laughs> and I still catch crap because for a month I wasn't around very much for Pete's sake. BC says, yeah, that Kurt's a sweet dude. Whatever happened to him? <laughs> yeah, Good night, everybody. Thanks for listening. You gave me the hiccups. Well, as uh, as we always do in the, the words of uh, the famed and fabled Dale Roush, for the second time he gets a mention here this evening, good night, everybody, and thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.